The curtains you made let the sun rays shine right through But you're never gonna fix a thing They only shine on you There we are. Okay. Um, well, welcome to this episode of the Chris Pete Cast. A little bit different uh, format today. Jeremy Poland has returned. Um, and we're happy to have you back, man. Hey, everybody. Um, so obviously last Sunday, if you haven't heard by now, I don't know where you've been, but um, last Sunday morning, um, a young man, Omar Patin, I want to say is his name, um, went into a nightclub, a gay nightclub in Orlando and um, injured 50-some people and killed 49, I believe is what they're saying now. Um, subsequently has uh, claimed to be uh, Muslim with ties to ISIS or influenced by ISIS is uh, something I, I saw. I don't know that it was an ISIS operation. I think he's just trying, he's saying that, that he was influenced by them. But um, so, in the wake of that sort of, and it's the largest mass shooting in the history of uh, our country. And in the wake of that, I wanted to have Jeremy back on so that uh, we could have a discussion about just kind of a response to uh, tragedy and, and suffering and um, trying to process all of these things. Uh, and I was just saying to Jeremy that it, it for, for us to say nothing about it would have would have felt irresponsible almost. So um, Jeremy's back, and that's kind of what we're going to do. So why don't you tell me just um, when where you were when you found out about this or how you heard about it and what your first reactions were to it. Well, yeah, it was really interesting for us because uh, we actually found out about it at, at church. Somebody had their cell phones on them, uh, and we're, we're checking the news updates. Or I think maybe somebody had heard on their way uh, on their way to church and sort of brought it up. And when we first heard about it, we just heard that there was a shooting at a nightclub uh, down in Orlando, and we're kind of talking about it just for a few minutes before the service started. And then by the time the service was over, or by the time our gathering was over, um, our other pastor, Jen, had found out and made the announcement that about, uh, she had thought that 50 people had been killed. And mm-hmm. early on Sunday morning, I, I know that the estimates were over 50 uh, people who were actually dead. Um, then they did a recount or something like that. And for us, it was kind of... Uh, strange timing for the event because just the week before that we had gone down to as a church or a small group from our church down to the blazing saddle which is a oh, that's right yeah uh, a gay bar down uh in downtown des moines in the east village and we had uh paid to have a, a food truck out there gastro grub which is awesome and we just handed out free hugs and free hot dogs as a sign to say uh, hey we know that relations between uh the lgbtq uh community and the the church community have not been great but but there are definitely uh people of faith, uh, Christians who want to have a relationship with and want to be open uh, and accepting and share the message of God's love with that particular community. So we're just trying to trying to see how that how that might work and, and look. And so for us, it was very much a timely event and that, that had opened up uh, other conversations. And that same day, we were uh, scheduled to march in the Gay Pride Parade oh, uh, really? downtown as well. So it sort of took on a... Uh, a different hint, and for some people in our congregation, a very, very personal note. That yeah. Here's this. Um, one person identified it as a, as an act of terrorism toward the the entire uh, LGBTQ uh, community, and so that's that's how we first sort of initially heard about it. What were your What were your Do you remember how you felt upon hearing it? Or to be honest, I think my first reaction was not again. Yeah. Right. Like there's been this cycle of outbreaks of random, seemingly random shootings. And then, of course, uh, 
in the aftermath, people always try to come up with these justifications for well, what were the motivations? Mm-hmm. Because we we sent we seem to tend to think collectively that if we could just find out why the shooter was doing what they were doing, then we could we could stop. Uh, we could somehow solve that problem so that these shootings wouldn't happen mm-hmm. uh, anymore. But I think the more we find out about what's motivating or allowing. Uh, these these people, these individuals to take these actions, uh, I think we'll find that it's a much, much deeper problem than, than it looks like on the surface. Yeah, I agree. That was, you, you articulated well, I think, what a lot of us probably felt upon finding out about that. And that was certainly my feeling also, which was just this, I can't believe this is happening again, you know. Mm-hmm. And the, I've struggled a lot in the last week or so in thinking about all this with the reality that we are the only country where this happens with this kind of frequency. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening, I'm not saying we're the only country where this happens, but it, it, it happens here way more frequently than it happens anywhere else. And I have th- been thinking a lot about how do we get to a place where that's something that happens. And, yeah. you know, part of me got frustrated with myself about not being more surprised by it, if I'm being honest. If, if that makes sense, like I, I kind of went like, oh, another one, you know? And was like, yep, that's just a thing that happens. And that uh, I, I've watched all of the, I think some of the best responses that I've seen so far were from sort of the late night crew, like the late night crews, yeah. like Jimmy and uh, Stephen. I say Jimmy like he's a friend of mine. <laughs> uh, my, my friend, Jimmy Fallon, yeah. uh, close personal friend of mine. And uh, Stephen Colbert and then uh, Trevor, Trevor Noah's on The Daily Show was really yeah. good as well. And um, But a lot of them kind of said what I think that, you, you, which is a good jumping off point for you and I, which is a lot of them said there's not much to be said. No. Um, I think in this time, after these things happen, uh, the church is probably a place where some people turn to. Some people obviously will go far in the other direction on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a uh, as the pastor of a community, what is what do you feel is sort of your responsibilities when something like that on a national scale kind of happens and what are, do people come to you sort of struggling with these kind of things or wrestling with them or yeah a little bit um and for me it's always interesting to see sort of how people relate to incidents mm-hmm. like this um because of course the the broader narrative is that we have news stories every week about terrible things happening right and if there's not something terrible happening in the united states then there's definitely something happening somewhere else and so there is sort of this cycle of, and I hate to put this so so tersely, but, you know, what's the bad news of the week? Yeah. And so the Orlando shooting came right off the heels of the rape case that had happened mm-hmm. um, uh, so recently. And now well, we've almost completely forgotten about that, or at least the, the, the media buzz around that topic has moved because now there's this new, bigger story. And so to a certain extent, it kind of feels like as a culture, we're chasing after we're ambulance chasers mm-hmm. to a certain extent that, that, um, and maybe the really insidious part of this is that some part of us kind of enjoys hearing these, these mm-hmm. stories on sort of a sick level, because then that reminds us that, Oh, whatever's going on in your life, it could be a whole lot worse. Oh yeah. And so I think there's a part of us that we, we watch that terrible stuff on the news and that's what allows us to feel grateful for having the lives that we have and for, um, being stuck in what's a relatively mundane job or yeah. in our relationships with 
uh, spouses or significant others, which may not be perfect, but hey, at least nobody's trying to uh, shoot me, or at least I haven't gone through that thing. And so, so that, uh, in, in light of these really horrific tragedies, sort of our our mundane existences are sort of consolation prizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's maybe a broader issue. Um, but for this particular act of violence, we had a number of people who were, uh, of course, those who are or who identify with or have some close personal tie with the LGBTQ community, uh, they take, you know, there's there's an extra layer of connectivity, sort of a reminder that, oh, yeah, uh, we're not as safe as, yeah. as we'd like to imagine that we are or, or as safe as we'd certainly like to be. And it's been sort of affirmed over and over again that... Uh, clubs and bars like that are the the last and perhaps only safe haven that a lot of these folks have, and uh, and then you find out, of course, then they're they're not that they're not, not too safe. And then you hear, you know, even locally, uh, that same week somebody had vandalized then the Blazing Saddle, mm-hmm. uh, which was really cool. There's actually another church, and uh, it was two, uh, two Rivers, I think. Yeah, Two Rivers yeah, Church, saw, yeah. downtown in Des Moines, uh, who sent them yeah. sent some money to the Blazing Saddle. That was very rad. I thought I thought yeah. that was awesome. Um, you know, a couple things to touch on there. One of them is that so I was at I was at work when I found out about this. I was going into work uh, at seven in the morning, and I don't watch the news in the morning typically. So I, I saw it as I was walking in, and um, we all proceeded to have a conversation, uh, as enlightened a conversation as a bunch of firefighters and paramedics can really have about. Uh, and our take home was kind of like we have to now we have to feel like we're ready because this mm-hmm. if you don't think that this can happen anywhere, yeah. you're just wrong. And yeah. um, that is a scary thought. Yeah. And for this is a sort of slight tangent for me as somebody with all this like hyper vigilance as like yeah. a, a, a symptom of things that yeah. I have. Um, that that is a scenario that I think about. Well, man, unprofessional. Didn't shut my computer. Didn't mean my computer. That's a scenario I think about uh, often when yeah. I'm in public places. And it might surprise people to know, like, that. I'm really processing a lot of time, like, okay, if something like that happened, what, where are we going? What are we doing? Like, yeah. knowing about or thinking about that stuff. And then to have it happen somewhere and go, it's almost, you know, weirdly, Jeremy, part of my brain was like, see? Yeah. You know, see? Yeah. This stuff happens. See? Like, yeah. you know, almost justifying sort of the irrational thoughts that I have about it, but... Um, I'm curious as to, you know, it, what, what the heartbreaking thing for me has always been with stuff like this is that the way, I, I love the way people rally together as a nation around things like yeah. this and as, uh, and as communities as well with all yeah. the vigils and stuff that have been going on. What's heartbreaking about it is that it takes something of this scale yeah. to remind us that we need each other, that we have to care about each other because most of the time we're not doing those things. And, you know, I... To me, or at least, we're not doing them on the scales that they yeah. occur on the scale that in which it occurs. You know, after something like this, and I, the last time I had this thought was nine eleven. Yeah. Um, where I was like, boy, I've never seen the country come together the way that they did after that happened. Obviously, they should have. Yeah. But then, you know, as well as I do, we we both have kind of grown. You know, we were yeah. both informative times during after that happened, and that every you kind of watched it ebb and flow yeah. and, and people got tired of rallying behind the president and they got tired of the war and they got tired of yeah. you know and all of a sudden we like fell asleep at the wheel again 
And then something like this happens and everybody wakes up a little bit. And then, you know, the sad thing is, Jeremy, that a year from now, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, who knows? You know, I, I, what, what lasting impact will this have is a question that I have. Yeah, and that, will, uh, that of course, we'll never know. And, and you asked the question, where are we going to be at from a year from now? And I'm sure, because there's a pattern, right? Yeah. And, and we've known that this has been going on for, for a long, long time. That in a year from now, we're going to have, you know, half a dozen or, or more other terrible events that we're going to be bouncing from one place to another uh, with. And I think that's, that's sort of my, um, my concern maybe as a church leader is that we're exposed to all these things and, you know, our hearts, and I tend to be a little bit more optimistic. I, I do tend to think that people's hearts do really get connected and, and engaged in this stuff, but it's the long-term pattern is sort of training us and training our attention and training our, our compassion really to jump from one thing to another. And, uh, when you're always focusing on the newest, latest crisis, that really makes it hard to actually do anything about yeah. any of it. Um, because we, we forget. Yeah. And, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't allow us to, to live with that one thing, uh, for any significant amount of time. Now, uh, in the community around Orlando geographically, they'll hang on to this for a long time, long time. and, and they'll, they'll be working in, in, uh, together and building up some of that very intentional community. And that's, you know, why, why nine 11, I think they said, you know, mm-hmm. never forget, uh, that this had happened because we want to remember that when we, when we let division and we, when we let fear, uh, become powerful, that's, that's what can happen. Mm-hmm. And you can have, uh, and now we'll all, all know and remember as a nation that, you know, one just one angry person with a gun is enough to to snuff out 50 lives in an evening mm-hmm. and that i think can be terrifying but i think the other side of it can also be very optimistic that if if that's what one guy can do uh on one night with one or two guns uh how much could we do yeah. in the inverse to help people if we're going to dedicate our whole lives if we're going to dedicate our collective resources um so I think that's the mm-hmm. that's the optimism that's that comes out of it. And I want to challenge you on, on one point. I, I don't tend to think that we're not doing a lot of that stuff uh, already, or that we're not prepared to do a lot of a lot of that helping stuff mm-hmm. uh, on a normal day to day basis. I think that we just don't recognize the opportunity and the open windows for which oh, to help sure. one another. Like everything, just as long as we're we're in a circumstance where we're allowed to think that everything feels okay, yeah. then we don't have that sense of urgency attached to putting ourselves out there to help and to serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can give a little bit more of a personal example for me that um, when Kristen and I bought our first house together, uh, we moved into a neighborhood and, you know, we said hi to some of the neighbors and, you know, it was, it was okay, but then our house burned down six, six months later. And then suddenly the whole neighborhood really kind of yeah. rose up and they, they were just trying to help and they didn't know how to, so we had people giving us money. We had people giving us clothes. We had people giving us, you know, furniture and agreeing to, you know, help watch our dogs and things like that. Uh, the first time we really met our next door neighbors was standing out in our front lawn. It happened to be a blizzard the night our house caught on fire. Oh, geez. And, uh, we were standing out in the cold at like 10 o'clock watching our, watching the fire, the firefighters do their thing. And they're like, do you have any place to stay tonight? Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, oh, I don't think we do. Mm-hmm. And... And so they invited us into their home, uh, which was... And that's the first time you met them? We'd, we'd said hi, yeah. but that was the first time that we had like a real conversation. That's crazy, yeah. And so 
I, I tend to be a little bit more optimistic than a lot of people when it comes to the human condition. I think lots of people really, really want to help. They, they just don't know how they can, they can offer themselves or offer their resources in a way that won't feel like um, condescending. Because that, that, that's the other end of things, is that if, if you're going to receive help, yeah. that, that means that somebody else has some advantage that you don't yeah. have. Yeah. And we being very individualized, uh, typically prideful Americans, we don't like to have to admit sure. that, oh, there's something that you have that I need that I can't provide for myself. Mm-hmm. Asking for help is a, is a skill, they told us always. In the, and it... Um, what the heck was I going to say? I wish I'd written it down. I, I was listening to you and like thinking about like, oh, I, oh, that's a good point. Um, oh, here's what it was. I've, I, I, people have been sort of posting around social media and stuff. Just I've just seen people reacting to this. And for, if you're listening to this at home and wondering why are they not talking about gun control, it's because one, I, um, I don't think it's probably a gun control issue, and and two, Jeremy and I are not politicians, so I really don't have a ton to say about that. Um, and I'm, I'm, this podcast is certainly not the forum where we're going to discuss gun control legislation. Um, so, um, but my thought is that, you know, when I've seen people like, well, what do we do? And, and that getting banning guns is it will solve all these problems and stuff. And I, I have said to people kind of that I think that what we have to do better and one of my friends specifically posted like what can I do as one person and I people were writing all this stuff about it and I'm going to tell you what man the responses were all over the board yeah. there were people saying there were people literally saying buy a gun learn to use it yeah. you know they were they were addressing that that incident mm-hmm. specifically and then other people going we need to fight for this kind of legislation that kind of legislation and me being the person I am I just came in and said, you know, the best thing, what you can do, the best thing you can do is love people better and care about them and really invest in people. And it's, it doesn't seem like that would make a big difference, but if you do it and I do it and we love five people better today, then maybe they'll love five people better tomorrow. And then eventually we won't have a country in which somebody thinks I disagree with those people and and it seems like a viable option to walk in there and shoot them. That we have created a, a culture that allows that to be a thought that somebody has. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and maybe it's the failure of, well, it's, it's I'm, you know, it's the shortcoming of just being people, first mm-hmm. of all. But in some way, is it the failure of, um, or in what way do you think it's the responsibility of, because certainly the church is a place where we should be propagating sort of that, like, loving people, caring about Absolutely. people. Um and not being a place where you come to be, you know, but a lot of people, especially in the LGBT community, have found that to be a place of derision and uh, where they were not welcomed. And, um, you know, I, it, it just makes, and even to speak to the, the shooter himself as a Muslim, and you wonder, and we'll, we'll never know this, but you wonder what kind of hatred he might have encountered just because of the sort of that kind of stuff that we say now and that Paul, that our politicians say, or politicians, we all know who I mean, but that say hateful things and, and say that they should, those people shouldn't be in this country. And then he's that, that cycle of hate just keeps going and going around. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of the disagreement comes from, it might've been the longest I've ever talked on the podcast in a row. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's good stuff. And I think, especially when we're looking at 
at Orlando and, and the really wide array of responses to it because, of course, I had the same thing on social media. I have oh, yeah. friends from who are all over the board in terms of politics and uh, family members in, in those camps, too. And uh, my, my friends who have guns and, and like guns were immediately on the defensive. Like, oh, oh yeah. here, here's, here's another gun thing uh, that came up and interesting issue. But And then, of course... This is a particularly juicy. I hate to put it this this way, but I think the media has uh, some interest in swinging this story because a uh, the shooter does happen to be ha- have some Muslim ties or connection. So there's there's socio political imp- implications. Uh, it was at a it was at a gay club, uh, which has other socio political implications. It was involving a gun, which has sort of an, adds another layer to it. And then I don't know if this is true, but I saw a number of articles that were posting that were posted, uh, and, and to me this makes makes the the whole circumstance uh, really perplexing and, and strange, and also sort of in a maybe sick way intriguing, uh, suggesting that the shooter was actually a patron of the gay club and had been there for three years. And some people were speculating, well, maybe he was just sort of scoping out the yeah, place yeah. As, as, as a planned attempt. And other people were saying, well, maybe he was actually, uh, maybe he was actually gay. Did he, and was there something in him that he, a part of himself he hated or couldn't reconcile with, or is that he, what you're suggesting or, or saying? Or I don't know, but it, it, it's certainly a, a possibility. It's certainly an interesting layer. The last thing I said, I, I read was that they hadn't confirmed any of that, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm familiar with that though. And if that's the case, because I think in most of those circumstances, uh, when you take a gun in public and start firing it randomly, you don't expect to walk away alive. Yep. And so to go and do that in that particular expression, have that particular expression and outlet uh, for violence to go to a a gay club when perhaps you do have, have that inclination or those feelings, then here's a very public act that's, that's happening, uh, in front of the public eye, but it may be a very, very personal issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe, maybe there was very much on, on a psychological level, and I don't know. This is just speculation, right? Um, maybe there was some projection going on, and that um, maybe there was some sick part of his brain that was thinking, if if I can, if if I can shoot them, if I can kill them, then maybe that'll that'll take care of this this part of me that I don't like about mm-hmm. myself. And it's, you know, what, what I was saying earlier too, is that, um, it's, it's similar. I had a thought the other day that it, it's similar to when somebody kills themselves, mm-hmm. which is they, which is the real tragedy of that is they woke up one day and said that that's clearly the only answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's literally nothing else I can do. There's nowhere to go. Uh, and that's a failure of the community around those people, you know? Um, and th- in this case, t- to me anyway, it resonated as similar, which is that he, you know, he, whatever his motives were, he woke up that day and said, this is the only thing to do. This is, this is the right thing to do. How do we allow it to get to a point where that much hatred seems like the right thing, you know? And then certainly, um, I don't want to make it sound like we're failing across the board at these things. I think there are always, they're always going to be, you know, if we looked hard enough, you and I did, we'd find a lot of stories of hope and, and, um, I'm certainly, uh, more interested in those things, but I think that also, 
Um, well, and it's like you were saying earlier, we're, we're never going to hear about that stuff because it doesn't sell, I almost said sell newspapers, but who does that anymore? It doesn't, it's not interesting. It's not mm-hmm. as, you know, it's not as sexy or whatever. It doesn't go viral. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, just these stories of hope and uh, I almost killed myself and here's why I didn't, you know, and yeah. um, I thought about killing a bunch of other people and here's why I didn't. And the thing is that those must happen. That must yeah. happen every day somewhere, um, but you'll never hear about them, you know. Uh, but don't you think that that signals maybe a larger value crisis that we might be I having? Do. That uh, to have such a narrow array of options that it's either I do this extreme act of violence or I don't do anything. Um, that to me, I think, seems the deeper problem. I mean, and you hear again on social media all over the place. I had a friend who shared a, a post from Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I wanted to kind of catch the, the podcast on this. And he was saying something to, to the effect that, you know, everybody's saying that America has a gun problem. We don't have a, we don't have a gun problem. We have a mental illness problem that's disguised as a gun problem. And oh, interesting. for me, I'm like, well, that's sort of an interesting way of framing it. But of course, if, if that is our underlying problem, if we do have a mental health problem, um, maybe giving guns, you know, such free access to guns is not going to help that. Mm-hmm that process. Trevor Noah said something similar on The Daily Show. He said, um, some people are trying to say this is a gun problem and some people are trying to say that it's a terror problem. He said, we have a gun problem and a terror problem. Yeah. And basically said, like, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both mm-hmm. or all and all and. And I, I had a big frustration, honestly, man, that the day, especially the day that it happened mm-hmm. and it's so raw and all of a sudden, halfway through the day, I started hearing about, like, here's what Donald Trump said about it. Here's what Hillary Clinton said about it. Yeah. And all I thought was, like, can everybody just shut up for 24 hours? And can, can, th- can this, at least today, not be about you and not be about what you said and not be about their response to it? And we shouldn't be taking time on the news going, like, okay, now we're not actually talking about the event. Let's see what this person said about it. Just for today, let this be... That this terrible thing that happened and just sit in that and make it about that instead of making it about like, well, how did what Trump said? Well, how that would affect his campaign? It's like, who cares? It's not, it hasn't even been 24 hours. Why are you even, who cares? You know? And that I think it gets to the deeper problem that we're trying to identify, which is that there's almost a level of usury when it comes to this story. Yeah. The, the story can't just be its story, but the way it gets publicized and the way it gets shared is always self-promotional. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I work with the church and some people genuinely want to know, well, what do you guys think about what, the, what happened here? Um, but then on, on another level, you know that a lot of that stuff that gets passed around and shared, uh, sort of the end result is that, oh, well now I feel better about that church or yeah. now I feel better about that person. I like that person better because they had this perspective or these ideas that affirms what I already think and what I already know. And I think that is, that is a problem. And and so it very much becomes like this caricature that gets held up and Mm -hmm. said, Oh, well we feel this about this particular incident where I would imagine uh, that for the families of the human beings who lost loved ones, that would just feel like, a whole gallon of salt dumped on all mm-hmm. of your wounds. And so, you know, I would, I would think they, they would be so far away from even caring about mm-hmm. what any of these politicians that they're never going to meet mm-hmm. said. And, and to, I, I look, I know that like, 
um, I know that they have to say something because start, I started this podcast with saying that it felt irresponsible for us not to say anything. So they clearly have to say something. All I'm saying is that if it was me, and this is probably why I'm not, I wouldn't be a good politician, I would say I'm not saying anything today and let's just be in, let's just own the fact that this is, tra- other than that this is tragic and there's, you, you, we're struggling to, and maybe own the fact that it's like I'm struggling to figure out what to tell you because I don't know. Yeah. And um, maybe that's a good segue into the other thing I want to talk about, which is what, what we say to people um, and how we deal with, in, in, especially in the wake of suffering on the, on that scale, but it's a good forum to just talk about it in general. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, uh, you did pastoral care things. I imagine you had to, right, for yeah. ordination and stuff. And I have certainly, because of the job I have, been around a lot of... Um, sort of a lot of tragedy that wherein people are processing that somebody literally just passed away. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but mine are simply that this is not super helpful, but the, the lat, the, the most of the time it's like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Just that from my side, at least medically, it's, we, we're often saying like, you know, we want you to know we did everything we could. Yeah. Um, and then we often, hand them off to the chaplain at the hospital or somebody and, and uh, let them own. But I think that the, it's important for people to own sadness and yeah. own, uh, especially after something so life-altering. Yeah. And uh, death is disruptive. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it certainly should be because I think it's so anti... Uh, it, well, it's obviously, it's the antithesis of everything you've done your entire life, which is exist. And then all of a sudden, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden that person isn't, that person's been there and then they're not. And yeah. it, it's very disruptive for people. And I, I always encourage people just to own that yeah. um, and understand that this is, it hurts now and it's going to hurt for a while. Um, even if they didn't pass away under tragic circumstances, you know, yeah. it's just, and if they were 90 something years old and lived a full life, it's still sad, you yeah. know? Um, but you, I, what, what have your, or what do you, what have you found is helpful to say to people in that time or how, what helps people process that kind of stuff? And I think usually it just boils down to sort of giving them permission and an opportunity to feel what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's the thing about, about grief or, um, or despair or depression or anxiety. Uh, that first you've got to, you've got to give your feelings a space to breathe and to be what they are first. Uh, our tendency to treat all of our emotions as you know problems to be solved or mani- manipulated, I-, I think, is not helpful mm-hmm. because all of our efforts to you know skip over the feelings of sadness or the feelings of anger or the feelings of uh, just bewilderment, uh, skipping over all that just leads to suppression because those don't those feelings don't go away because they have. Uh, I think they have a, a particular truth to tell you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't listen to that truth, I was listening to some other podcast and I just realized I stole their, stole their thing, mm-hmm. their language without, uh, without even remembering who they, who they are. But, uh, every emotion has something to tell you. And if you don't listen to that, it's going to be patient and it's going to, yeah. it's going to wait until there is a space, uh, to feel or experience that. And I think the other thing that I would encourage, if, if you want to be 
a caregiver or if you want to be a support for somebody who is going through a tough time is that you don't have to solve the problem either. And in fact, it's not a problem in the first place. Uh, rather, it's just this is just a part of the life experience. And I, I totally get and I agree with what you're saying about death being this disruption. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, um, the aromas of death, I think, are a very real part of, mm-hmm. of our life and our lived experience. I mean, even on the cellular level, you know, we're constantly dying yeah. and regenerating. Mm-hmm. And that's really what allows the, the sustenance of life is, is that process. And I think on the spiritual or emotional level, uh, we all have dreams and hopes for what the world is and, and who we're, who we'd like ourselves to be. And those are constantly assaulted and those die too. Mm-hmm. And so I think when something like the shooting in Orlando happens, that, that assaults our dreams for this peaceable, happy, happy place that we're living in. And we have to confront the reality that, oh, oh, uh, peace and happiness and getting along is definitely not, not the whole story, um, that we're looking at. And mm-hmm. so we've got to give that space. So as a caregiver, um, or somebody who's wanting to, to be a support, you just have to be there with them. You don't have to say anything. Uh, just encouraging people to listen. And uh, I would argue that in a lot of cases, it's probably better to not say anything. Yeah, I agree. Um, I. It's funny you said that thing. I, Jen, your, your co-pastor, mm-hmm. uh, told me, I can't remember how we started talking about this at the small group that I go to with them, but um, she said that something to the effect of we are brought up to, or we are subtly taught often that you shouldn't feel sad ever. Mm-hmm. And so then when you even feel a little sad, it feels like, oh, I have to get rid of this feeling as quickly as possible, you know, and I'm paraphrasing her cause she said yeah. it a lot better than that. But, um, it was an interesting thought to me because, and so she had said, I don't think she'd mind me saying this. She had said that, um, they are teaching their child whose name I'm forgetting, um, that like when he's sad about she and she gave it a, a, an example of when he has to come home from a friend's house it's like that makes him sad and she's been like yeah it should because you want to stay and hang out with your friend and so mm-hmm. it's natural to feel that way yeah. so just if you want to sit and be sad for a little while that's okay you know yeah. and it that's it's a fascinating idea to me and something I hadn't thought about um, and have really only in the last year or so learning to deal with my emotions and stuff yeah. I've, have sort of realized like, yeah, there is a part of me that has to like, if I'm feeling depressed, I just have to be that way for a little yep. while. Um, and in fact, it gets a lot worse when you try to not be. Yep. Um, and so for people out there that are feeling that right now and in, in the wake of what happened in Florida, you know, the best thing you can do is just feel it. And, yep. and it serves as a reminder of, uh, how just how terrible that event is and you know we shouldn't we shouldn't be able to quickly move on from that those feelings because because of the nature of what happened I think um I suppose the a big question too that I I would pose to you that we can talk about is there are probably a decent amount of people out there that are that are asking the question how does God allow something like this to happen um I don't know if you've run into that quite yet but um what do you say as somebody who they, who they will come to with that kind of question, you know? Well, for me, and um, maybe this sounds like sort of a callous response, but I think God made us free and God literally gave us the power to do whatever we want within our own ability. And, uh, 
and so because God cares about us and trusts human beings so much, uh, we have this level of power that we can absolutely abuse. And I think it's kind of strange for us because all of us would be like, oh, well, yeah, of course, that matches reality. Um, I, don't, I don't know if too many people who legitimately in all things think that, oh, God wanted you to have Fruit Loops instead of Cheerios this morning. <laughs> uh, there is sort of that theology that's out there that's usually blamed on Calvin, um, rightly or wrongly, mm-hmm. that, you know, God is the grand puppet master of all things and orchestrating this, this great event. So, which then the... I, re- I read in a book once, I think you'll think this is funny, and this is only like three people listening to the show are going to understand this, but um, somebody said, if you've seen the movie 12 Monkeys more than once, you're probably a Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that might have been just for us. Anyway, go on. <laughs> and I wonder, does, does anybody actually experience life that way? No, we all feel like we're free. We don't feel like we're watching a movie where the next scene is going to happen no matter what, what we do or what choice we make. Um, but instead we experience, yeah, I could, I could go to work today or I could literally drive to Disneyland today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we think that we're, we're captive of all this stuff. But the reason that most of us don't drive to Disneyland uh, every other day is that we know that there's a price tag that's attached to all this yeah. stuff. And there's, there's a price tag attached to every action and decision that we, that we make. And I, I think all this, I, I think bringing in theology at that level, um, especially at the level of grief is, is trying to overstep the, Oh yeah, yeah. Your decisions actually matter. They actually mm-hmm. have power and they also actually have consequences. Yeah. Um, I, it, I, I was, uh, it was positive to me or I thought of it like this once we were talking about because if you get if you listening and most people that listen to this didn't uh, study religion in college so they haven't had to sit and have conversations like this like we did um, which is fine <laughs> but um, every whenever you're doing theology you eventually have to start asking questions about the nature of evil mm-hmm. um, God's response to it is that theodicy is that what that's called or am I making up a word? Yeah, theodicy is where it is uh, sort of God's involvement or activity in history. Yeah. yeah. And the the way that the free will, the way I always thought about free will and things is that there's a, there's a pencil in front of me right now, mm-hmm. and I can choose to pick it up or not. Mm-hmm. And whether or not I'm supposed to do it doesn't really affect me because it still feels like I'm choosing to pick it yeah. up or not. So we might never know if, if it is that it's in the script for me to pick up the pencil. We might never know that, but it still feels like a choice. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, I think then if you, if you take that, if you take that and spin out to, then it feels like a choice, Mm -hmm. which means that, and I'm not one of those, like the, the illusion of free will Mm -hmm. people. I really do believe that we have it, but um, that's the best way I've found to access it for people that want to be like, well, but God has to be in control of things. I'm like, okay, well maybe he is, but your choices still feel like choices and they're going to, which means that they, what you do matters. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I, I I like what you said, which is that, that it, it really is an attempt to skip over the, um, Human responsibility. Us mattering. Yeah, what we do matters. Because they want, you and I were talking about this off air, but people want to come to church or go to God and expect to get answers to things and expect to um, have everything made okay. Mm-hmm. And, but they don't want to take, you know, you're, you're totally right, which is that I, there's a lack of, um, and even I don't want to usually take responsibility for things I do either. Yeah. Um, but, to, 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 for that to be a place, the unrealistic expectation that we have all the answers somehow. And, 
Um, you know, it's just not true. We don't. And, um, and I think the other, the, the other side of that question that I think is, um, maybe even more intriguing to me because of course the assumption behind that question is that God shouldn't allow bad things, right? right? That, that's what, that's what motivates things. I mean, the, the whole question of the problem of evil is, you know, if, if God is all knowing and all powerful and all good, why do, why do bad things happen? And, uh, so our thought then is that, oh, well that, that's bad. That shouldn't happen. And this is, this is purely speculative at this point. So maybe this is an entirely dead question, but I, I think, uh, there might be something to it is that, you know, what if God really is stopping all the, like the worst, the absolute worst possibilities from happening. And this is the less worst stuff that we're mm-hmm. dealing with. Um, that's interesting. I've never heard that idea. By which I mean, like, because uh, I, I do, I don't, I don't talk about it a lot. I, I do believe in the afterlife, and I do believe that there's going to be some eschatological uh, form of, of judgment that goes on. Um, so for for me, it's it's there's at least the possibility that I can imagine that whatever terrible crap you go through in your life, that there is some way to justify that and say, oh yeah, yeah, that stuff was really bad, and you did experience pain, but whatever's on the other side sort of negates or redeems that pain and that suffering and that death. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas I think if you don't have any, any sense of, Oh, well, there's something more to this, or there's, there's some God or some power that's giving meaning and purpose to our human existence. If you just have to live in the reality that, that what we see is, is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, then I think this violence that we're, we're seeing on TV or experiencing personally, uh, is much weightier and, and has a much uh, darker insinuation than it could be if if there's even the possibility that there's more than what we can see mm-hmm. to the scenario. I yeah I I I have to believe that you know that it, it I think about this sometimes it could turn out that we that you and I are completely wrong and oh, that, absolutely and that God doesn't exist and that this is all just a thing that got made up. I don't think that's true, obviously, but it, there's that possibility. And I think about that sometimes. And, but then I think even if it's all not true, I have to believe that hope ex- I have to believe there's some kind of hope for humanity to be better than sun- last Sunday. I, I, I just have to believe that that's true because if I didn't, um, it would seem very impossible to, to get up and go on and, and keep, living and doing and, and creating and, and because none of this would matter because we won't be any better than Sunday. You know, we won't be any better than, uh, than nine 11. We won't be any better than, than the Holocaust even. We won't get better than that. And if we won't get better than that, that's like, well, what are, what's the point even then? So even if it's all not true, I'm going to keep believing it because I have to have that hope, you know, which isn't like the sexy reason to believe in God, but for me, in the place I'm in right now, that's why. You know, yeah. if somebody were to say, "Why do you believe in God?" I, I just have to because it. I have to have that kind of hope. The, I mean, you know, this the 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 afterlife stuff, and and I don't believe in God so that I can go to heaven. Uh, yeah, I think that that probably will happen, but um, I don't. That's not the reason why I get up every day and say this is the thing I believe in. It's because I need today to be better than my worst day yeah. or yours. You know. And for me, I, I, I think that that juxtaposition is always sort of strange. And to me, it seems a little bit misleading that there are, you know, two options. There's either God or there's not God. I'm either right or I'm wrong. Uh, 
because I tend to think, well, of course I'm wrong, right? Yeah. Like, of course uh, there's more to more to the picture than I understand. Uh, and, and of course, I know that, you know, two years or next week, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, what I said on that podcast yep. with, with Chris was a bunch of bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I assume that's going to be true. For me, what's much more interesting is the the God-not-God debate is really sort of a – I think it's a political struggle, right? Yeah. It's, it's either my way of viewing things is right or, or your way of viewing things is right, which detracts from what I think is, is probably the more – profound and interesting question, which is, uh, you know, what, what are, or, or what is the force guiding all this stuff that we have in life? So we know that there are billions of galaxies and we know that they're in this particular motion. And we know that, uh, somehow there was this process where there was nothing. And now we have these really intricate and interesting beings on this planet that we call earth. And those beings are called humans. Uh, they're there and they're living and they're doing stuff. Uh, why? Like, for me, the God, not God question is, is not interesting, but why is there us? Mm-hmm. And why is there, you know, you can go outside on a, well, on a beautiful day or on a, what we cons- uh, consider a really shitty day and, and say, man, there's something about, I can remember for me, and this maybe sounds like a a really stupid, weird thing to say, but I was driving down the road. I'm like, man, look at trees. <laughs> I, was, I was in my car. And I'm like, man, human beings feel so good about making cars because they can, you know, take us long distances in, in a relatively small amount of time. But man, look at a tree that starts out as literally, you know, a, a seed that can fit in, in the palm of your hand. And then it somehow grows. Like there are cells that somehow know to build this thing yeah. that becomes a tree that then produces seeds, which, which then goes on to produce more trees. And for me, it's like, why does that happen? That's, that's an interesting, uh, proposition. Well, and of course what's sort of blandly called the scientific perspective, which is not a response at all. Just, well, because it does. Yeah. Well, that's not really a very good yeah. response. Like, Aren't yeah, you we, curious? We, we yeah. can, we can tell that it does, but what, what's the force that, that, we call it life and all of us will agree that there is life. Um, so where did that come from? What does it mean? Those I think are the, the more profoundly theological questions. And I don't think that you can simply sidestep them because there's a group of idiots over in a corner. And I, I put myself in that corner mm-hmm. uh, under the category of idiot, uh, who, who talks about this thing that they call God, uh, that has certain properties and, and doesn't have other certain properties. Like, yeah, of course I can be wrong. On yeah. That. Um, but th- there's, there's something about the question. I'm on fire And I'm burning down slow